false expectations appearing real. See, there's a million things to fear about tomorrow because they haven't happened yet. And that's why Jesus says sufficient for the day is its own troubles. And Jesus says, no matter what, don't be afraid. And and Jesus knows what's going to happen to his own. He's like, don't fear anything that you're about to suffer. He's saying, look, you are going to suffer. This is a prophecy and a word of encouragement. He's like, suffering is coming, but don't be afraid. When you're in a tough situation, where does your faith come into play? A lot of us are guilty of just letting it fall by the wayside as we try to grasp the situation with our own feeble hands. Whereas Pastor Daniel challenges us today, consider where you turn when your back is up against the wall. If it's not to the Lord, it's a functional Savior. Jesus sees the faithfulness of the church at Smyrna and comforts them with the assurance that they will gain a crown of life. The same is true when you hold fast to the truth. But he was talking about his upbringing. He's like, we were so poor, we were po. That's how he expressed being so poor growing up. He's like, we were so poor that we just cut off the last O-R. We were just po. And that's exactly the implication of this Greek word here. He's saying, look, he's saying, I know that you have absolutely nothing. I know that you are living in abject poverty. Now, why would they be? Because remember I told you, Smyrna was a commercial city. And in a commercial city of the Roman Empire, part of the social custom, of course, was giving alms and worshiping the Roman emperor. And if you didn't do that, you were ostracized from the community. And guess what? The Christian church wouldn't do it. They would not, because when you would worship the Caesar, you were in effect saying, Caesar is Lord. That's what they used to say when they would worship. Caesar is Lord. And the early Christians like, I cannot say that. When they say in the Bible that Jesus is Lord, that is straight up subversive living. That is rebellion against the Roman Empire. And so the early Christians, they wouldn't do it in Smyrna. And they were cut out of all trade, all ability to attain wealth simply because of their belief in Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, the church is never so healthy than when it costs something to follow Jesus. When you can't just plug Jesus into the spiritual box, but when actually, when push comes to shove, if you believe in Jesus, then you're going to suffer other things. The church is always the most healthy in that environment because there's no flab, is there? There's no weakness because if it costs, then you say, look, I'm either going to count the cost and follow Jesus or I'm going to say, look, I really don't care that much. Remember I said, don't judge a book by its cover. He says, I know you're poverty, but you're rich. Ah, that's powerful right there. That's powerful right there. Because sometimes in the midst of great and profound abject poverty is the riches of God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that being poor is spiritual. I'm saying that sometimes in our poverty, 
there is the greatest riches. For those of you who've gone onto the mission field and gone to countries where there is a lot of poverty, you see that, right? Where you see children who have nothing and they have such joy, profound joy. You go to a church that's all dilapidated in the middle of nowhere and people can't sit still and worship. They go hoarse and worship. Now, I'm not saying the poverty feeds that, but when you have nothing but Jesus and you realize you have everything, that changes a life, doesn't it? Just because God has not maybe blessed you materially does not mean that you are not rich in the things of God. And there's a strong juxtaposition here between the church in Smyrna, which was poor, but Jesus says, but you're rich, and the church, of course, in Laodicea, who was economically rich, but Jesus says, but you're totally poor and naked. So we have to be careful that we are not economically prosperous and spiritually poor. We have to be careful. Now, I don't think we should just make ourselves poor to try and see if we can get spiritually rich. I think it's a great challenge to live in the most prosperous society in the world and still be white hot for Jesus. I don't think you have to give it all up to be spiritually prosperous, but each one of us have to live like we have nothing. And be all in for Jesus. And if it costs us something, then it costs us something. Because Jesus gave up everything so that we might have life. The church in Smyrna was totally poor. But Jesus says, but you're rich. And not only that, look at what's going on for them. In the middle of this verse, in verse 9, it says this, And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Wow. That's a rough end of the verse. He's like, look, I know the maligning, the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews, but they're not. Now, this is a running theme in the New Testament. Now, what I'm going to say right now, we need to filter through the reality that our cultural goggles, we live on this side of the Holocaust, okay? And because we live on this side of the Holocaust, we need to make sure that what we say is interpreted in its right grid because after the Holocaust, when we saw the systematic attempt to exterminate Jewish people, we have to be careful of what we say and how we say it. But at the same time, all through the New Testament, it tells us there are people who are ethnically Jewish but don't act like followers of Yahweh at all. And this is one of those examples. It pops up in the book of Romans. I mean, Jesus called the Jewish people of his days a brood of vipers. Because just because your ethnicity says that your family at some point maybe followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob does not mean that you are godly. That's what it doesn't mean. Your lineage, if your dad was a pastor, if your parents were Christian, that doesn't make you a Christian. And the Jews of that day who were the recipients of God's law, they were the chief persecutors of the church. For the first 50 years of Christianity about... The most stern persecution did not come from the Roman Empire. It came actually from the Jewish people. The book of Acts is about this. And Jesus says, look, I know they're blasphemy. They say they're Jews. And yes, they probably were ethnically Jews, but he's like, they're really not. Notice he says, they're a synagogue of Satan. Wow. That word synagogue means a congregation, an assembly of Satan. The church in Ephesus was troubled by self-styled apostles. Now this week... The church in Smyrna is troubled by self-styled Israelites. They say they're Jews, but they're really not. They're persecuting the people at the church in Smyrna. So again, 
Never judge a book by its cover. Just because someone says, hey, I'm Jewish, doesn't mean that they're a follower of Yahweh. And we have to remember this, because I believe God has a special plan for the children of Israel, biblically, but until they put their faith and trust in Jesus, they are just as unsaved as a Muslim, as a Buddhist. Now, I know that might sound kind of like, wow, but that's the truth. If Jewish people could get into heaven by following the law, then Jesus would never have died. Jesus would never have died. If there was a way to God based on the Mosaic system, which if you don't know, come study with us on Wednesday night. It's a powerful time. But the only way to be right with God is through faith in Jesus. That's the gospel message. And for some of you, I'm saying this right now, and you're saying, wow, I need to get right with God. And by the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make your life right with God by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Because just because your parents were Christians doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your dad was a pastor, your grandpa was a pastor, you were involved in seeing some church start up a million years ago, doesn't mean anything about where you are today. Don't judge a book by its cover. You've heard it says that going to church makes you about as much of a Christian as living in a garage makes you a car. You ever heard that? I think I made it up partially. I think I got it wrong, but that's fine. You guys will correct me after service. The second service will get the perfect version of it. Listen, just because I'm looking in the, in the refrigerator doesn't make me a piece of bacon either. It's amazing how guys, every time the word bacon comes out, guys laugh. How, why is that? Because bacon is brain food. I know. I know how it goes. But, but think about this. Think about this. You may have gone to church your whole life and you never put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you're trying to get into heaven by church attendance, then you are missing the boat. If you're trying to get right with God by service, you're missing the boat. We are right with God because Jesus is God and has always done it right. And he stands in our place. And you know what's amazing about that? Someone may be in here today all messed up, jacked to the hilt, and they've put their faith and trust in Jesus. And even though they're all messed up, they're in God's family because they trusted Jesus. We can't judge a book by its cover. Just because you carry a big Bible doesn't mean you have the big heart of God. It just means you got yourself a big Bible. And don't get me wrong, I love the Bible. And, I, and, and listen, exercise, carry a big old study Bible, you'll get a little rift on that side. You've got to make sure you switch hands so you're not uh, out of whack. But the only way to be right with God is through faith in Jesus. Trusting in Him, His finished work, and His, the ever-present reality of the Holy Spirit. Everything else is window dressing, and it may be nice and good and honest window dressing, but our salvation comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Don't ever judge a book by its cover. Now, you'll notice in this letter, by the time you move to verse 10, it jumps right to the challenge. There is nothing bad stated about the church in Smyrna. Now, I think we can make a point about this because we should be compassionate in the midst of trials. Be compassionate in the midst of trials. Now, why do I say that? I'm actually making a point based on what Jesus doesn't say. Because oftentimes, when somebody is suffering, when trials are happening, sometimes it's not a good time to address their shortfalls. Because they're suffering. And the suffering is enough. 
The trials are enough. And Jesus doesn't say anything negative about the church in Smyrna because they're already having a tough enough time. And that's why, right, we should be compassionate in the midst of trials. When someone is going through a deep, deep trial, sometimes the best thing you could do is not pick them apart for the things that are going on in their lives. Because what they're going through is more than enough than they can handle. And that's what being compassionate means, that if I were in that situation, how would I want someone to treat me? So I'm making a point based on what Jesus doesn't say. And isn't that hard to do, though, when someone is close to you, when you care about them, when you want, when they're, when they're letting you down, to be able to be compassionate in the midst of their suffering? You know, I just, <laughs> to be honest, I, I lived out this point last night with my precious bride. She's in her first trimester, and she doesn't feel good. And I'm like, hey, let's invite all these people over. And she's just like... <sighs> and then this morning, I'm sitting in my office, and I'm just like, be compassionate, Daniel, you knucklehead. So you're going to teach on this. You better start living it out. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm living at the same level as everybody else. When someone's going through a deep trial, be compassionate by not giving them more to deal with. Giving them more to deal with. Now, look at the challenge in verse 10. It says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Here's the point of this. Be faithful no matter what. Be faithful no matter what. This is an important point for all of us because when we get into hard situations, the first thing that goes out the window is faithfulness, right? Because you're just like, I'm, just, I'm in survival mode, right? And so when you're in survival mode, you're just like, oh man, yeah, oh yeah, economically it's a mess, so I'm definitely going to stop being generous Oh, yeah, you know, this is really bad. And so even though I know I'm not supposed to do this thing, this thing over here is my functional saver. That's what a lot of habitual sin is. It's a functional savior. So you have a stressful day at work, and some guy goes home and goes on the Internet and looks at a bunch of trash. Because he's like, man, I'm having a rough day, so I'm just going to go do that. Oh, I'm having a rough day. I'm going to go grab a, a cigarette. I'm going to go drink too much. I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. Everybody's got something. I mean, anything can be a functional savior. Chocolate can be a functional savior. Bacon, that's right. <laughs> Cupcakes. It's anything that you, that you do that you're doing to try and help you along. Faithfulness means no matter what goes on, you stay true, true north with the Lord. And we all know what that is in our own lives because we know what those pseudo-saviors are. He begins with, do not fear any of those things which are about to suffer. Don't fear any of them. Don't fear. Now, I mean, you guys know this. You guys, fear is false expectations appearing real. See, there's a million things to fear about tomorrow because they haven't happened yet. And that's why Jesus says, sufficient for the day is its own troubles. And Jesus says, no matter what, don't be afraid. 
And, and Jesus knows what's going to happen to his own. He's like, don't fear anything that you're about to suffer. He's saying, look, you are going to suffer. This is a prophecy and a word of encouragement. He's like, suffering is coming, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Notice what he says. He says, indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. He's saying, look, there is demonic oppression going on here. Satan is using the accuser of the brethren. The deceiver is going to use people, and some of you are going to get chucked into prison, that your faith may be tested. Not only that, he says, you're going to have tribulation 10 days. Now, obviously, 10 days, people want to argue. There's a million interpretations of what the 10 is. Is it a literal 10 days? Is it a short but very specific period of time? People relate this to all things. So I don't even know. Maybe it's 10 literal days. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is just a short but specific period of time. There's a million ways to interpret some of this stuff. But he's saying, look. He's saying, look, you're going to suffer, but you need to be faithful until death. That's what he says. No matter what befalls you, be faithful to the Lord. And if you're faithful, even unto death, God says, I'll give you the crown of life. Wow. What's unique about this is that no matter what you do, you're being faithful to someone. That's what's unique about how we deal with suffering. Because if in your suffering, you are not faithful to God. You are faithful to the devil. If you, in the midst of suffering, are not faithful to the things of the Spirit, you're being faithful to the things of the flesh. And if we're faithful to death, Jesus will give us the crown of life. If you are faithful to the devil... In death, you get the crown of death. I mean, think about that. So how you and I navigate suffering, there is a reward at the end. There is a reward. It's just a matter of what it is. Of what it is. Be faithful to the Lord no matter what. Listen to Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my namesake, Jesus says. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Do you see that? For each and every one of us, for each and every one of us, we have to endure to the end. We have to keep on being faithful to the Lord no matter what. And I know that this is a fitting word for some of us today. Because right now, you are here today, whether here in the sanctuary, in the chapel venue, online, one of our other venues. There's people watching our messages in Montana, all over the country now. It's exciting. But listen, listen. You need to just hold on. Just hang on. He said, look, if you're faithful unto death, I will give you the crown of life. You know what that crown? In the Greek, there's two different words for crown. Beautiful. One is the word diadem, which is the crown of a ruler. The other one is the Greek word stephanos, which is a victor's crown. The crown, it's like the Heat just won the NBA championship. The trophy, 
That's a victor's trophy. He says, look, if, you, if you're faithful unto death, no matter what befalls, I will give you a victor's crown. That we've run the race, that we've won the prize. James chapter 1, verse 12 said, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Each and every one of us, each and every one of us has to endure suffering. But if we are faithful to the Lord unto the end, he will give us that victor's crown of life. And I don't know what the trial is for you today, but what I am quite sure that each one of us has things in front of us that we need to say, Lord, I am going to be faithful to you. Lord, I'm going to keep on following you. And Lord, even though I want to run to all these things, I'm going to stay with you, Lord. I'm going to stay there. I'm going to trust you. No matter what happens, I realize that you're going to, that I'm being tested, that I'm growing. But the crown always follows the cross. Brothers, sisters, the crown always follows the cross. And that's the difference between what God offers and what the enemy of your soul offers. Just like the temptation of Jesus, the enemy, Satan, said, listen, I'll give you the crown without the cross. Just come worship me. I'll give it all to you. It's mine to give. The temptation is to take the shortcut thinking you're going to get the glory without the suffering. But Jesus said, no. The crown comes through the cross. That's why Jesus died and rose again. That's why the resurrection changes everything. And that's why the church in Smyrna is like, look, just be faithful. Even if death comes, you will get the victor's crown of life. And that's a word for us today. And then finally, the promise in verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. My final point today for you is that each one of us needs to be resurrected with Jesus. Be resurrected with Jesus. The promise to the overcomer, the promise to the overcomer is that he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So what's the second death? Listen to Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. It said, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. You see, the second death is that last judgment, the eternal judgment. That's what the second death is. And Jesus said, if you overcome, if you overcome, you will not be hurt by the second death. Jesus is I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus is Real Radio. It's exciting to me that you would take the time to listen to this. It is my distinct hope that each one of us would simply respond to Jesus. That's a big idea. 
for me, for Crossroads Community Church, and for Jesus is Real Radio, that each one of us would meet with Jesus, what I like to say, at street level, because Jesus is right where you are. He is right there in the middle of your situation and in the middle of your circumstances. Jesus is right there, and Jesus wants each one of us to learn how to simply respond to him. What that means is that at every moment, Jesus prompts us and we take that step and it's my hope for you as you're listening to this program that you would find yourself each day simply responding to Jesus more and more. You'll become more loving, more kind, more gracious, more generous, not just financially but in every single area of your life. You'd find yourself desiring to serve others and not just hoping that everyone is there to serve you. When we simply respond to Jesus, we become closer and closer and closer to who God created us to be. And so we say that Jesus is real and he is and he exists right where you are and he is inviting you to partner with him in recreating the world. So Jesus wants to change the world and he is looking for available people, people like you and like me. So please, as you listen, simply respond to Jesus and engage yourself in the work of God's kingdom in your community and in your world. God bless you so much.